The Tom Sumner Program. Old fashioned radio for a new generation. Oh, it's always a pleasure to be with you, Tom. You know that. Yay, Tom! <laughs> I love it in Flint! You're very astute, Tom. Um, easy question. I'll debate Andy Dillon on your show. Well, that's a very good question. Uh, Hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. I'm all right, Tom. How are you? Hey, lucky day, Mr. Sumner. Ciao, Tom. How are you today? <laughs> Hi, this is actor, comedian Jonah Pody, and you're listening to the Tom Snyder, uh, Tom Smothers. Uh, I mean, I'm sorry, what's his name? Oh, Sumner. The Tom Sumner Program. Good morning, Tom. How are you doing? Hey, at least I got the Tom part right. The Tom Sumner Program. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. Our fellow Americans. Right now, the COVID-19 vaccines are available to millions of Americans. And soon, they will be available to everyone. The science is clear. These vaccines will protect you and those you love from this dangerous and deadly disease. They could save your life. So we urge you to get vaccinated when it's available to you. That's the first step to ending the pandemic and moving our country forward. It's up to you. MTA Flint is nationally recognized for continually seeking to provide sustainable, reliable, and cost-efficient transportation for individuals throughout the region. Through work-related and non-emergency medical transportation and your ride services, MTA is moving people with future and alternative fuel technologies. More information about MTA Flint and specialized services is available at mtaflint.org. Hi, this is Gretchen Whitmer, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program.
fait. TomSummerProgram.com I know of a place where you never get harmed A magical place with magical charms Indoors, indoors, indoors Take it away! From the Tom Sumner This is the Tom Sumner program. My guest this hour is, uh, well, a big fan of gory details, as evidenced by the title of her new book. She spent more than a decade writing and editing for top science magazines, newspapers, and websites, including National Geographic, who she teamed up with uh, for this book, Adventures from the Dark Side of Science, called Gory Details. Um, she is a, a writer and editor for National Geographic named Erica Engelhout. I think I said that right. Uh, Erica, welcome to the show. That was great. Thank you so much. I did really okay. Yeah, I did my, okay on the name. My name is my name is hard. It's Erica Engelhaupt, and um, oh, the, you know, I'll answer to just about anything. <laughs> the P the P is not silent then. No, I, my family we always said it. It's a you know it's a German name, and we always pronounced pretty much all the letters in there. Engelhaupt. Okay then. Well, welcome and uh, glad glad to know that. It's nice to see something that's pronounced the way it's spelled. <laughs> <laughs> well, so, I try. <laughs> so why the fascination with the dark side of science? <laughs> yeah, you know, I think um, <laughs> I think actually we're all pretty fascinated by things that are you know gross and creepy. So, uh, so this book, yeah, it's a collection of you know true stories I've written about all kinds of gross, taboo, and creepy science. And it started off as a blog first at Science News Magazine and then at National Geographic. And I basically just started writing about anything that I found bizarre and fascinating. And, you know, my, I, I have a background in science. I have uh, degrees in, in biology and environmental science. And so I've always been interested in nature and animals. And let's face it, nature is often pretty gross. <laughs> and so I've, I've always loved that. You know, I grew up around science. My dad's an engineer. He actually um, is an inventor as well. And he always, you know, was setting up a laboratory in our own home and so I grew up around science and have just always kept that curiosity for the natural world, and that extends right into all the things that we're fascinated by when we're kids, like gross stuff, and I don't think that, um, certainly I haven't grown out of that curiosity and interest, and I think actually a lot of us uh, don't. We just are maybe, when we grow up, we're a little too embarrassed to ask those questions. Well, you know what I, I, I couldn't help wondering as I was looking through your uh, through your book, is in these days of people who have lost trust in, um, you know, in, in mm -hmm. government uh, officials and agencies, and now um, even even science, um, you know, there's this whole group of people referred to as science uh, deniers. Um, 
I, I guess mm-hmm. what it makes me wonder is, Erica, do you think that people are more apt to trust science if it's gory? <laughs> no, I don't know if they're more apt to trust it. But, but do you know what I mean by? Yeah, I think that I think that it's that it's I think it's you know a really good way to get people interested in science and thinking about it, and and that they can relate to. And I think when you can relate to something, you do trust it more. You know, when you see it in your own life. And so, yeah, I, I would make the I would make the case that um, any way that we as um, as journalists and, and science writers can reach out to people and get them interested in science and get them to understand it a little bit better and to understand how it works. Um, I, th- I think that's a great way of getting people, uh, to, you know, to build trust in science, because like you said, there, there's a lot now, you know, uh, as, as a, um, you know, as a science journalist, of course, the last year for me, a lot of it has been about uh, coronavirus. And of course. I've been working on, on editing, uh, you know, a lot of coverage of coronavirus and COVID-19 for Science News Magazine. And, um, you know, that's one of the biggest obstacles that we face is that uh, a lot of people don't have that trust in science and that there's so much misinformation out there. I mean, it just feels like a constant battle when you're doing real science journalism to get the news out because you know that people are getting all of this crazy stuff on their Facebook feeds and, you know, from who knows where on the internet. Um, that's, you know, basically just stuff that's, that's made up. Um, so I, I think science is more relevant than ever and our need for it is greater than ever. Um, so it's, it is disappointing to see that at this time when science is basically our way out of this pandemic, that so many people are having trouble trusting and believing what scientists say. Um, Erica, as I'm looking at this book, um, I I had to do a little reading to to even realize, uh, you know, I had to pay pretty close attention to even realize it was National Geographic. This book looks very different than the usual National Mm -hmm. Geographic tome. Um, It's got some, it's got some, fabulous illustrations but there isn't the photography mm-hmm. that we associate with national oh, geographic right. and you know it's 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 laid out we always think of national geographic as telling the story in pictures but you're painting pictures with the story mm-hmm. aren't you yeah that's right and you know i guess when you write about gross stuff, one problem <laughs> that you might sometimes face in writing for National Geographic is that some of my subject matter is not the most photogenic, shall we say? <laughs> so, <laughs> Maybe. Sometimes illustrations work, work very well. <laughs> and so I actually had a wonderful illustrator for this book. Her name's uh, Bryony Morrow-Cribs, and she had illustrated other books, um, some of the names of those books like Wicked Plants and Wicked Bugs. And so she has a wonderful touch for illustrating these things that, um, you know, for for making a, a maggot look like something that you want to look at. <laughs> um, it's, it's really nice. And, and so I would say, yeah, you know, maybe some of my subject matter isn't exactly what we think of as pretty. We think about some of these things as kind of gross. But they're so fascinating that I think, you know, when I tell you that all of us have 
mites living on our faces, for example, don't you kind of want to know what they look like? I mean, I did. That's why I went to a research lab where I got to actually like see the mites that live on my own face. And for me, that was that was fascinating. I, I, I'm still carrying around those photos um, of my face mites on my cell phone so that I can show them to people. That's a weird selfie, Erica. <laughs> it is a weird selfie. It's my it's my best and weirdest selfie. <laughs> you you make that your uh, Facebook profile page, and I'm gonna wonder about you. <laughs> you know, I hadn't thought of that, but now you're giving me an idea. <laughs> oh no! <laughs> oh no! I just broke the internet. Oh, yeah. that's funny. Um, but how did this? book come about is this a compilation of some of the articles that you have have done yeah. over the last few years yeah so gory detail started off as a blog um first at science news magazine and then at national geographic and then we decided to expand it into a book form and um when we decided to turn it into a book, then I got to, you know, write a whole lot of new material and do some traveling to fun places like the lab for the face mites that I mentioned. I got to go also to a maggot farm in Texas and learn about maggot farming. <laughs> and I got to go to um, medical uh, examiner's office in Baltimore, which was really fascinating, and attend a homicide seminar for detectives where I learned all about different areas of forensic science. And that's and this book um, really explores a lot of different aspects of, you know, what you call on the cover um, the dark side of science, or the things that are creepy or gory or um, just dark in general. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I would say though that, you know, even though I cover things that are creepy and gross and taboo. Um, it's the dark side of science, but I wouldn't say that anything uh, that I write about tends to be too dark or depressing in that sense. I tend to write about a lot of stuff that, frankly, at least I think is a lot of fun, a lot of fun to, to research, a lot of fun to read about, and certainly was a lot of fun to write. More with National Geographic writer and editor, the author of Gory Details, Erica Engelhaupt. Straight ahead. Everybody's doing a brand new dance now. Hi, this is Mark Farner, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab, or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. While we've been staying safe at home, scientists have been on a journey. The destination, a COVID-19 vaccine. This journey began decades ago with research into other coronaviruses. Scientists built from there with months of research and development, cooperation with other experts worldwide, and clinical trials on tens of thousands of volunteers of diverse race, age, and health status. They arrived at a safe, effective vaccine and hundreds of thousands in Michigan have already been vaccinated. But the next step is ours. We need to get the vaccine when we can. Keep wearing masks correctly and taking precautions until we reach our destination. 
freedom from COVID-19, and getting back to the lives we love. Discover the facts for yourself at michigan.gov slash COVID vaccine. A message from the Michigan Department of Health and Human Services. The Tom Sumner Program plays host to the best political roundtable on radio every Wednesday from 10 a.m. to noon. Armchair Politics features great commentary and analysis about the headlines from local, state, and national politics with an alumni of world-class pundits, plus quotes, tweets, and those weird and wacky stories we call the X-Files. If it's Wednesday, catch Armchair Politics on the Tom Sumner Program. East Village Magazine is the monthly neighborhood magazine read all over Flint. With support from grants, donations, and advertisers, East Village Magazine's talented local writers give you an in-depth look at local news, issues, and people that make Flint, Flint. Copies of East Village Magazine are available at many of your favorite shops and restaurants around Flint or online at eastvillagemagazine.org. East Village Magazine, community-focused and community-supported. Discoveries. They happen when we least expect them in places we thought we knew. And discoveries have a way of teaching us a little more about ourselves along the way. Welcome to Flint and Genesee County, where up north meets down south. Home to Michigan's largest county park system and a vibrant culture. A place filled with discoveries we've yet to make throughout acres of beautiful lakes, wetlands, and woods, and in the diverse city beyond. Where the uplifting melodies of gospel choirs fill the air. Where the work of renowned artists color the galleries and museums. Where the fresh fruits and vegetables at the downtown farmer's market awaken our senses. And where the cultural center and planetarium broaden our view of the world. Let's spend a few days enjoying the wonders of Flint and Genesee County. Where the joy of discovery is pure Michigan. Your trip begins at Michigan.org. Technical assistance for the Tom Sumner Program is provided by Swiftlet Technology, engineering and IT services at swiftlet.technology. I know of a place where you never get harmed, a magical place with magical charms, indoors, indoors, indoors. Take it away. Hi, this is Deb Cherry, Genesee County Treasurer, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Radio Show. More with National Geographic writer and editor, the author of Gory Details, Erica Engelhaupt, straight ahead. I, you know, it's funny, the, the book opens up with uh, uh, an introduction called Not Quite CSI, Morbid Curiosity mm-hmm. in the Morgue, and I was just, just reading the, uh, the opening uh, paragraph about um, the, the 1980s TV drama with Jack Klugman, uh, Quincy, um, which was like yeah, the you first... Yeah, I'm showing my age when I say I loved that. <laughs> well, I remember that show, but um, I, I just I have to share this story with you because it's just so oddly mm-hmm. relevant. I, I was in a bar one night, and a guy keeled over at the end of the bar, just went right over backwards in his bar stool. And somebody else sitting around the bar said, "Uh uh-oh, better call Quincy. Oh, my God. And I don't know if anybody else in the room got it. (laughs) 
<laughs> was. <laughs> yeah, I think you do have to be probably at least over 40, I'm going to say, to <laughs> for that reference to make any sense. It's, it's like <laughs> the... Yeah, I, I grew up watching, watching that show, and, and, you know, I think if I weren't a science writer, um, I could imagine myself having become a, you know, a medical examiner or a pathologist or something like that. Really? Um, yeah. I, I always wanted to, you know... I've always had that urge, you know, that kind of thing, like you want to solve crimes and stuff like that. And now I understand that, uh, you know, it's not really like it is on CSI on TV. (laughs) It doesn't really work that way. But um, but still, yeah, I mean, I think the idea of using science and um, science and medicine to understand things, to solve crimes, um, to help people. Yeah, that's great. I was so disappointed I, the first time I interviewed uh, a um, an FBI profiler from Quantico. I was so disappointed to find out that, that her team didn't have their own plane. Right, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like it's on the TV the show you know, Criminal for... Minds. And so, I, you know, I'm familiar right. with that whole idea of we get one, you know, impression of, of what it's like. And then, uh, mm-hmm. and then it's something completely different than that. Um, Absolutely. Is it? Has it been sanitized for television, or um, is the way they portray yeah, I mean, it uh, more more interesting or more entertaining than than the real thing? Well, you know. I, I was able to, at the medical examiner's office, I was able to um, observe some autopsies, and I, that's something that I had never seen before. Um, and, you know, you're, you know, behind a window of glass, you know, looking down and kind of like um, you, you might have seen on TV, sometimes they'll show these um, surgery theaters or whatever where there's like glass and there's, you know, people looking down. Yeah. So you can observe um you know, for for this homicide seminar that I went to, um, you know, we were the the students were able to watch some autopsies in real life, and it is different. I mean, it's very different from you know Quincy and from CSI. Um, for one thing, in, on CSI, they're always like you know shooting a sample off and getting the answer in five minutes, and it's yeah. not like that in real life. Um, Send it, it off is, to the lab. You know, yeah, exactly. And you know, it's not like that in real life, but. Um, I was really impressed with how uh, how professionally, you know, their whole operation, you know, runs. This was in Baltimore where, um, you know, it's a big city. They're dealing with, um, you know, a, a pretty large number of, um, of deaths, you know, at any given time. And this was, of course, you know, pre-COVID. Um, so they had, you know, bodies coming in um, with various causes of death. Sometimes it was obvious that it was, you know, someone who had been shot or something like that, but often it's just, you know, someone died and it's not certain why. And it's amazing to see these medical examiners, these professionals in action and the way they do an autopsy and to think about the fact that they're starting from scratch. They have, you know, they they have no idea in some cases uh, what killed this person and they have to, you know, solve a mystery every day um so it, it did it made me feel um even though it was sometimes hard to watch i mean you're seeing you know um they really do use those bone saws and you know cut off the top of the skull and peel the face back and take the brain out and things like that. 
tissue samples. Um, and on the one hand, that was very, uh, you know, disturbing or, or, you know, scary to see. But on the other hand, watching them do it as professionals, and they do this every day, and they treated um, everybody so respectfully, um, it really it made me feel better about the process. It made me feel a little less afraid of the whole thing of, you know, death and what might happen, uh, you know, to my body or the idea of an autopsy. It just kind of, uh, you know, made me feel a little bit, a little bit better about the whole thing. And <laughs> that probably sounds kind of strange to say, but, um, but I think that that's the case when you look at something through the lens of science. Um, and you start to understand it, it does get less scary. And so I have really hoped that with this book that I can make it a little bit easier for people to talk about things like, you know, death and our bodies and things that we think are embarrassing or gross. Um, because actually it's, you know, it's pretty interesting stuff. And I think that we're missing out if we just kind of block off our curiosity and don't want to talk about any of that stuff. Is... You know, sometimes like I'm, I'm, I'm a little uncomfortable. I'm, I'm squirming in my chair now, knowing that there are mites on my face. <laughs> but, um, isn't there a little bit of a concern that the more we know, the more frightened we can become of just the world mm -hmm. around us? You know, I've actually found for myself the opposite to be true. That the more yeah. I learn, the less I'm afraid of these things. You know, I was just as kind of horrified and freaked out as anyone when I found out that, you know, there are these mites that live in our <laughs> pores and that were living in my face. I mean, I didn't like the idea more than anyone else did, but um, but when I w actually went to a lab and saw them, they didn't seem so scary anymore. And um, so I think that sometimes we actually, we block things off and we say, oh, I don't want to know about that, or, you know, that's too scary or too gross. Um, and when it keeps that, when it retains that mystery and you can't talk about it, I think it actually, in my opinion, it kind of gets scarier. I, I find that uh, the more I understand something through science, the, the less afraid I am of it. Um, because I'm someone who, you know, I'm totally average when it comes to being disgusted or grossed out by things. I'm, you know, <laughs> I, I, wasn't, I wasn't thrilled about going and, and trying uh, to eat insects for the first time, but I felt like, you know, in the name of gory details, I had to go give it a try for myself um, and, and report back on what it's like. And, um, but yeah, so those things are, are just as gross to me as they are to anyone else. But I, I kind of find that when I, if I can just take that first step and go see it or touch it or, you know, or uh, in the case of the insects, taste it, um, that it's actually usually not nearly as bad as I had built it up to be. But does it, exploring these things, um, does that play out like facing your fears? Yeah, I think so. Um, you know, I, I mean, I'm afraid of lots of things. I'm afraid of getting hit by a bus. I'm afraid of alligators. I'm afraid of, you know, <laughs> I've got plenty of things I'm afraid of. <laughs> and, uh, you know, like I said, I think that facing your fears does kind of just help. It just, you know, it makes things easier. I mean, there's so many things that we're too uh, afraid or embarrassed to talk about. Some of these are really, um, you know, big, important topics. Our bodies, our health, um, sex, our bodies, you know, our, um, our mental health. 
you know, these are things that sometimes can be uncomfortable conversations to have. But I find that when you start telling people about some of the, you know, the science side of things and getting them interested in, you know, different research that's been done, it gets a lot easier to, to talk about it. And often it's fun, actually. <laughs> I mean, I don't know about you, but, you know, for me going and finding my face mites and learning about all of that stuff, it's really been uh, a really fun exploration. And in, in the, um, I, I, I'm, and I'm just, I'm trying to figure out because there's so much stuff in this book, Erica, I'm trying to, you know, cherry pick some things, but I think <laughs> yeah. I'll just talk about the different parts of the book where you talk about morbid curiosity. And we touched on that talking about, uh, the morgue and, and corpses and autopsies and that sort of thing. Um, but then <clears throat> you've got a, a section on bugs, um, or, or a section called that's disgusting. And it, it has a lot mm -hmm. of different things from, um, sewer monsters which you know we've all at least dreamt about and um <laughs> and of course on the ma the maggot farm and i was surprised to to even learn that there were maggot farms yeah isn't that interesting <laughs> i actually didn't know that there was such a thing as maggot farming until i went to a conference that was all about eating insects and scientists and um and people from the edible insects uh industry were talking all about black soldier fly larvae and how this was, you know, this big booming business that's getting started. And of course, fly larvae are maggots. And so I thought, wait a minute. So they're growing maggots as food. What's this about? So I actually went down to Texas A&M University and met a researcher there named Jeff Tomberlin, who's been studying this particular kind of fly called black soldier flies for a long time. He does a lot of forensic science as well. And um, and he had been working for a long time on developing these particular fly larvae or maggots to be uh, a great food source for livestock. And so it's entirely possible that while you probably have not eaten any maggots directly, um, that probably some of the, you know, chicken or or um, pork or other other kind of animal products that you've eaten, those animals probably did eat maggots because they're, you know, this great protein-rich and very efficient and environmentally friendly uh, way of growing food that can be fed to livestock. Yeah, that that um, that is fascinating, and, I, and I've read about uh, um, bug farms in Asia. In, in Japan, I think, mm -hmm. in particular. Um, but that was that was kind of an interesting element. And then you talk about, uh, you have another section, uh, part four, creepy crawlies about critters, um, rats oh, yeah. and uh, roaches and um, <laughs> worms. All the critters. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, including the story of um, one young woman who was the, uh, had the misfortune of being the first person documented with eye worms of a particular species, and that is exactly what it sounds like. She uh, was in Alaska, and she started 
feeling something in her eye. It felt like there was an eyelash in there or something. And what do you know, she pulls out something and she was like, that's a worm. And, you know, everyone thought she was crazy and doctors didn't believe her. And then they brought her into, you know, an emergency room and the doctors just sat around her and waited, watching her eye, (laughs) waiting for one of these worms to appear. And sure enough, he was like, there's a worm. (laughs) And they got it out. And they ended up pulling, you know, like, like more than a dozen worms out of out of her eye over the course of time. So I talk about the science of those and and um, you know and how do they get and, in and there the to begin with? <laughs> how, how do they get in there to begin with? Are they formed in there somehow? Well, it's really weird, you know. So a lot of uh, these animals have really complicated life cycles, and so eye worms tend to be carried by what are called face flies, <laughs> which are when you see, you know, uh, if you're out in the country and you see um, cattle or horses um, that have these flies that kind of land on their eyes, you'll see yeah. particular flies that like kind of cluster and they're, you know, and the cows always kind of like blinking, trying to get them off. Um, those are face flies and they feed on the tears of cattle and, and other animals. And so the, worms can be carried by the face flies. So what they think may have happened was that this woman may have, uh, you know, gone through, uh, she, she was near a cattle pasture at one point. And so what they think is that maybe uh, uh, one of these face flies that was carrying the uh, larvae of the worm landed on her face, got one of those larvae in her eye and then they grow. And so the good news is that the the worms can't complete their life cycle in the human. They need to get back into a face fly. <laughs> so, um, so essentially they were, in that sense, kind of harmless. You didn't have any lasting damage from them. Uh, they were just in the, you know, those poor worms were just in the wrong place at the wrong time. They meant to be. <laughs> They, they meant to be somewhere, you know, in a face fly, <laughs> feeding on the tears of cattle. <laughs> well, let's see. Um, and you also talk about gross um, anatomy. And <clears throat> I, I I saw something here that, that caught my attention, a couple of things that caught my attention. Um, the promise and perils of swapping poop. Ah, yes. Fecal transplants. Was it yeah, was I, it you I, that sure I talked to about this? Um, so fecal transplants go way back, and I don't know if um, if we've talked about this before, but uh, there's this idea going back to like the fourth century A.D. They called it yellow soup, and it was you would take a healthy person's poop yeah. and dilute it and give it to a sick person, you know, when they were suffering from gut problems. And that sounds absolutely disgusting, but, and and it would be, I mean, I don't want to drink, you know, someone's poop, but, (laughs) but there was, whether they understood all of the science behind it back then or not, there was good logic to it because now we understand that our guts are full of all of these bacteria and that many of them are good bacteria. So they call it the microbiome, and you need to have a a healthy mix of bacteria in your gut. Um, And so now we're going back to that same kind of age-old idea of transferring the poop from a healthy person, which contains lots of the good bacteria 
bacteria into the gut of someone who has lost their gut microbiome, either because antibiotics have killed it off or um, whatever other reason they've got in, an imbalance in that system. So <clears throat> the good news is that now you don't have to drink someone's <laughs> poop directly wow, in order to do that. That's good. They do a fecal transplants, and there's even a um, a fecal bank where they have, oh. um, you know, poop donors <laughs> that are that are, are people that um, you know are very healthy and don't have any bad bacteria, you know, any any pathogens in their system, and they can actually use that and create, um, you know, a treatment that can be transferred in to the lower gut <laughs> and no. you have to get that in you know either through a feeding tube that goes down into the into the stomach or um or it has to you know go up the other way <laughs> there was there's, there's one other thing in that in that part of the book um in that section called uh, and and i would love to spend some time on bloodletting as a cure but but i'm more okay. curious about the detox myth um, the question is, can we really sweat out our own toxins? And I swear I saw a guy actually do that. He, he what, sweated what out the... a cold of some kind. Ah. It was some kind of viral well, cold. And, and I was on the uh-huh. road as a musician at the time, and he drank a bottle of Jack Daniels is what he did. And he, and he, he's, he sweated... He wrapped himself up in a sleeping bag, and his thing was, I'm going to sweat out this cold or flu or whatever it was he had. Wow. And, mm-hmm. he, and it actually worked, or it seemed to work. Um, did you yeah. find that there was some truth to that, or was that just a fluke? Well, here's what I, here's what I would suspect happened, is that your friend wrapped himself up in a blanket, and probably induced a fever. He probably got himself hot enough to raise his body temperature, and that can actually um, help fight off infections. So that that kind of makes sense to me that, um, you know, it's possible that if he had a virus that he might. Oops, looks like I, uh, it looks like I lost my guest. Um so uh, we were we, we were close to the end. I was just going to um, wrap things up with uh, Erica Engelhaupt, who uh, is National Geographic writer and editor. We were talking about uh, her latest uh, effort for National Geographic, a book called Gory Details, Adventures from the Dark Side of Science. Anyway, we'll have uh, more of the Tom Sumner program straight <laughs>
time I'm in Flint fighting crime, I always stop by the Tom Sumner program. Don't forget, stay dangerous. Darkwing Duck out. While we've been staying safe at home, scientists have been on a journey. The destination? A COVID-19 vaccine. This journey began decades ago with research into other coronaviruses. Scientists built from there with months of research and development cooperation with other experts worldwide and clinical trials on tens of thousands of volunteers of diverse race, age, and health status. They arrived at a safe, effective vaccine and hundreds of thousands in Michigan have already been vaccinated. But the next step is ours. We need to get the vaccine when we can, keep wearing masks correctly, and taking precautions until we reach our destination, freedom from COVID-19 and getting back to the lives we love. Discover the facts for yourself at michigan.gov slash COVID vaccine. A message from the Michigan Department of Health and Human Services. The Tom Sumner Program has hosted live candidate forums for local, state, and national offices at bars, restaurants, coffee shops, and colleges. Armchair Politics has gone to Lansing, Frankenmuth, Birch Run, and Hell. Hell, Michigan, that is. We've done shows all the way to the Mighty Mac and back to the bricks. We've done remotes from a baseball stadium in Lansing, a grocery store opening in Flint, and from a moving train. We'd like you to tell us where to go next. You can write to us at TomSumnerProgram.com, call us at 810-339-8255, or contact us on Facebook. This is your chance to tell the Tom Sumner Program where to go.
you have feelings of inadequacy? Do you suffer from shyness? Do you sometimes wish you were more assertive? If you answered yes to any of these questions, ask your doctor or pharmacist about tequila. Tequila, tequila is the safe, natural way to feel better and more confident about yourself and your actions. Tequila can help ease you out of your shyness and let you tell the world that you're ready and willing to do just about anything. You'll notice the benefits of tequila almost immediately. And with a regimen of regular doses, you can overcome any obstacles that prevent you from living the life you want to live. Shyness and awkwardness will be a thing of the past, and you'll discover many talents you never knew you had. Stop hiding and start living with tequila. Tequila may not be right for everyone. Women who are pregnant or nursing should not use tequila. However, women who wouldn't mind nursing or becoming pregnant are encouraged to try it. Side effects may include dizziness, nausea, vomiting, incarceration, erotic lustfulness, loss of motor control, loss of clothing, loss of money, loss of virginity, delusions of grandeur, table dancing, headache, dehydration, dry mouth, and a desire to sing karaoke and play all night rounds of strip poker, truth or dare, and naked twister. Warning, the consumption of alcohol may make you think you're whispering when you're not, is a major factor in dancing like a retard, may cause you to tell your friends over and over again that you're in love with them, also may cause you to think you can sing. Alcohol may lead you to believe that ex-lovers are really dying for you to telephone them at four in the morning. Alcohol may make you think you can logically converse with members of the opposite sex without spitting. It may create the illusion that you are tougher, smarter, faster, and better looking than most people, and it may lead you to think people are laughing with you. Alcohol may cause pregnancy, and it also may be a major factor in getting your ass kicked. So what are you waiting for? Stop hiding and start living with tequila. From the Tom This is U.S. Senator Gary Peters, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Welcome to this presentation of the Comedy Spotlight on the Tom Sumner Program. I said no, I didn't no. want to take it. No, sometimes you're not supposed to sing that. Well, sometimes a fellow doesn't feel like taking it, he just stands right up and says no. I didn't want to I didn't Tommy. know it upset you this much. I just don't well, want look to take what it. Did to the song. No. Too bad you caught me on an off night like that. I just don't want to take it Tommy, when a fellow stands folk up and says always take it. I just I You know that? You haven't even read the folk singer's guidebook. 
You, oh. you haven't even read the folk singer's credo. You, you don't know what it is to be a folk singer. Oh. You're a big phony. You, oh yeah? Yeah. Tell me, have you read the folk singer's credo? Yeah, well, Are you a folk singer? Yes, I are. Oh. Then you've read the guidebook, right? And you've read the credo. Remember when you got your guitar, it came with a book? Came with a book and an Arthur Godfrey chord changer. Yeah, I read Mom read it to me. Yeah, okay. What does a folk credo say? It says, all folk singers are obligated to do what? Dickie, I didn't know. Obligated to do what? Remember what it, what it said there. Say the whole credo. Come on. All folk singers are obligated to take it. That's right. He said to take it. If you feel like it. If you no, don't feel like it. It doesn't say if you feel like it. It says all folk singers are obligated to take it without hesitation, without thinking. They're to take it like a reflex. You take it, Tom. Boom, boom, boom. Yeah, well, so when know. I say take it, I want to see you hop to it all the time, every time. Dickie the dictator. Boil that cabbage down. Take it, Tom. Boom, 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 all the time. <laughs> Hundreds of years ago, the railroad started in America. Rugged men of yesteryear went on the vast wilderness of early America with a great dream in their minds, and vision in their eyes, and big nine-pound hammers clasped in their hands. These were men of yesteryear building a vast railroad, a vast spiderweb of steel rails spanning across the width and breadth of the country toiling and inching their way under the, under the lucky old sun. <laughs> they inched and toiled their way across the vast bosom of America. <laughs> I'll throw a little sex in the show. All right, all right. That's enough. But this wasn't just a fun job. real garbage mouth, you know that? You're talking about history, remember? Well, there was, there, these railroad men, it wasn't fun. They faced dangers. These men of yesterday, where they went, there lurked dangers. Some of the railroad men, they'd be working in the mountains, and in the mountains, there's a lot of, lot of dangers lurking in the mountains. These railroad men sometimes would stop at, like, at night when they were resting. Sometimes there's more, the nervous, some of the nervous railroad men, they'd jump out of bed in the middle of the night, they'd say, hey, I saw a danger lurk. Well, what kind of dangers? There was dangers lurking in the mountains and they had to build the roads across raging deserts and blazing rivers and across the plains of America and there lurked dangers. Tommy, raging deserts and blazing rivers? They were tough, man, to get across those. Yeah, I think so. And these real men, to make it even worse, they... They were fearless men. They had to build railroads. Wait till you hear this. They had to build railroads across crevices, deep crevices in the ground. And these railmen had to span these crevices with big railroad pretzels. And in the bottom of these crevices, oftentimes in the bottom of these crevices, there lurked pumas. Vicious pu that's right, pumas with claws and that's foam wrong. coming out of these there pumas' mouths. Tommy, that's wrong. And they have there bad breath, too. 
there weren't any pumas down there. There was the pumas, and oh, these rare men, they'd say, Wow, look at those pumas down Stop there in the crevice. There, there weren't any hey, pumas. I don't want to build a rail across this crevice. I don't care what you say. There's pumas in them. Tommy, for crying out loud, there were no pumas in the there, crevices. There, there wasn't was, even one puma in one crevice. There, there was, there was there not. There was three pumas in the crab. Mama Puma and Papa Puma and Baby. baby puma. <laughs> Who's been sleeping in my crevice? <laughs> All right, uh... Tommy, do you want me to tell you why there were no pumas in the crevices? There was pumas. You want me to tell you why? There, the reason there weren't any, we don't have any pumas in this country. There... You see, there are no pumas in America. We, we accept everybody in America, Dickie. That's right, we do. But do you want to keep your story truthful? Yes, Historically I, correct? Yes, I do. Then get rid of the pumas right now. I'm not going down that crevice. <laughs> well, there was these vicious beasts in these crevices. And these rare old men were sore afraid. And these rare men come up to these crevices, they say, Wow, look at those vicious beasts in the crevices! <laughs> Sure smell like pumas. Hey, cut that out. But they weren't. But they weren't. And these railroad men were sore afraid. Yet the railroads were completed. Yes, Americans. We can look back with pride on the historical archises of American history, where these men of yesteryear completed this giant task, the transcontinental railroads. It took a Herculean effort on the part of these men. But the task was completed, and, and you're probably saying, you probably wonder, when sends this song coming? Maybe. Well, a big feast transpired, and a sole substance for this feast, for these ravenous railroad men of yesteryear, and this big feast, the sole substance was hotcakes boiled in cabbage juice. Big giant uh, pancakes um, boiled in a pot of uh, cabbage juice for several hours. <laughs> then they'd eat it. <laughs> Hotcakes and cabbage juice, those guys all think it's swell. But every time I eat the stuff, I always feel like blah. Oh, boil that cabbage down, boys, turn that old cake round. The only song I ever did sing is boil that cabbage down. Working on the railroad, working all day long. Take it. When someone says, take it, you're supposed to take it. I suppose you've read the folk singer Credo, you shot your mouth off about it enough, and then when I say take it, you didn't take it. When someone says take it, you're supposed I'm, to take I'm, it. Are you a sorry. folk singer? I'm very sorry. Don't get belligerent. I, why didn't you take it? When someone I'm not says, trying to get belligerent because you were absolutely right. You stood Boy, up. that really makes me angry when a guy doesn't take it. That's right, and it makes me angry too. And I think anybody who doesn't take it should be severely chastised, Tommy. Because you were right. The way you said take it was in a true folk tradition. You stood up there on your own two feet and you said take it with authority. You knew what you were doing. You're a, a man who, who knows where he's going. That's the way you were. You said take it. And I didn't take it. I know that I didn't take it. I, I don't know what happened. I, I assumed, see, I assumed you were going to take it. Well, but you're supposed I to... know it. I'm supposed to take it. A folk singer should never assume anybody else is going to take it. And I should have, I should have known. I should have been alert. And I, and I wasn't. I... I guess my mind was just wandering, that's all, and I, I apologize for not taking it. No, I assure you I'll do my best to see that it, 
It never ever happens again, honestly. I'll let it go this time. Working on the railroad, working all day long. Take it. Working, 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 working. Boil the cabbage down, boys. Turn, turn, oh, kick round. The only song I ever did sing. Boil the cabbage, boil the cabbage down, boy. Turn that old cake round. The only song I ever did sing is boil that cabbage down. was another comedy spotlight on the Tom Sumner program. Alexander Zanjic, don't touch that dial. You're listening to Tom Sumner.